This episode of the Expat Cast is brought to you by My Expat Taxes. They are a female expat founded company and I use them for my taxes every year because yeah, guess what? If you're a US American, even if you're living abroad, you have to file your US taxes. Pretty much every year I've had at least one new challenge to my taxes that I've had to work through. And what I love about my expat taxes is it's a software that is backed by people. So anytime I have a question, I can just contact them and they are really quick and friendly and so helpful. On top of that, they also make regular updates and improvements to the software. So for instance, now you can do your FBAR through them. There is even a live chat option. Seriously, every year I come back and get reminded why I like them so much and I get more impressed because of their improvements. So if you are a U.S. American living abroad, take this first off as a PSA and a reminder that you have to file your U.S. taxes. But also don't freak out. Just head over to myexpattaxes.com. They have tons of free open online resources explaining everything to you. To try out the software yourself, you can sign up using the code EXPATCAST, written in all caps, to save 10%. Have fun filing your U.S. taxes with My Expat Taxes. Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. One quick reminder before we get to today's episode, and that is, in just one week, it is the season six finale. I love to make the season finales a special episode where we get to hear from more than just my voice and one guest. Rather, I like to make them a collection of many listeners' voices. So this season finale, I am asking everyone to dig deep into their vulnerability and tell me their thoughts about if they want to have kids or not and how that ties into their geography. I am thrilled to say I've already gotten several submissions. I've gotten them in a mixture of formats. I want to remind you guys of that because this is so personal. If you would feel more comfortable sending me a DM on Instagram or on Twitter or an email with your thoughts feel free to do that and you can let me know if I should use your name or leave that out. In that case, I'll just read your thoughts and your message in the episode so you can still contribute but protect your own privacy. If you feel more comfortable with the topic and would be up for sending a voice note, that would be wonderful and you can do that on my website at theexpatcast.com. On the bottom right, there's a little microphone symbol. Just click that and send me your message. It's going to be edited no matter what, so you don't have to speak perfectly. (laughs) Just speak how you speak and I'll take it from there. I'm looking for maybe about three minutes. I've gotten submissions anywhere from one to five and there's no wrong answers. (laughs) Whether you have kids, whether you don't, whether you're undecided, whatever your thought process or experience might be, I'd be very happy to hear it. I know it's a big ask, but exactly because it's so personal is the reason I want to talk about it more. So I really appreciate all the submissions I've gotten so far and hope to get a couple more before next week. So if you can send them to me by this Sunday, March 20th, that would be wonderful. And okay, I'll admit it. If you send it in Monday, that's okay too. All right. And now on to today's episode, the Ask the Expat episode. This one is also very happily full of your contributions. I was so excited to get all your questions And I'm very glad to have Idan from Unmatch Me Now as my guest for this episode. Thanks to everyone who sent in submissions. I'm I'm really happy to say we got to all of the questions. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope that this is helpful.
My name is Idan. Uh, I am from Tel Aviv, Israel. Current location, is, that's Berlin. Uh, six years. I'm excited to have you on because I was a guest on your podcast. I've listened to your podcast and I sort of just generally like your thought process in things and the way yeah, you approach communication you. and topics. And so when I was prepping to do this Ask the Expat episode, I... Yeah, I really thought you'd be the perfect person to give a different perspective. So yeah, thanks thanks for being here. Actually, yeah, maybe we should also say real fast, um, what is your, your podcast? Yeah, um, I host a podcast about originally horrible and weird online dating stories. However, it's kind of evolved into be more about dating ethics along the line. It's called Unmatch Me Now. Well, let's start off with a softball then, because one of the questions sent in from listeners was, what are some cultural differences dating a German? Oh, my God. Um, yeah. What would you say off the bat? <laughs> I mean, I talk about it so much, uh, to be honest. Like, I complain about Germans a lot, although I love Germans. But I think for me, the main things, it really depends where you're from, which culture you're from, in my opinion. If you come from somewhat of a warm weathered uh, slash very conservative and to some extent uh, cultures there's uh, a lot of clashes going to happen with this kind of north european-esque cultures so for me a lot a lot of things were the lack of pers- personal conversations like uh, people tend to kind of avoid very personal conversations they're not particularly very direct at least compared to people in israel uh, like we're somewhat too direct <laughs> to some it takes a long time until you really get very close to people here like you know when they really open up especially when it comes to friends i think when it comes to relationships it's also that but different that's one thing the second thing is passive aggressiveness or the lack of confrontation so the people here are so afraid of confronting their emotions and what they feel especially when it comes to relationships and dating and i think that's like the main issue i had with my german relationship partners and i think that a lot a lot of it come from the culture it, it, here because as i said before like they don't talk about personal problems so openly so then they tend to bottle up and that comes out usually in some sort of a passive aggressive way and surprisingly it doesn't really change so much with you know like this generation like germans tend to avoid talking about what bothers them i've noticed i mean younger germans tend to be generally a bit more open yeah but yeah it's still more of a learned skill and so that's (laughs) something i would say is um i and you're dating in berlin i'm dating in Freiburg, which is a much smaller town nearby to a lot of tiny villages and people who like come into the big city of Freiburg for the day, you know, so I've definitely run into this issue of, you know, I'm the first person they've gone on a date with who's not from Baden-Württemberg, like this specific (laughs) state within Germany, you know, and so... Yeah, they're maybe they're trying to get to know me and they're and they're trying to be open, but it's kind of hard because they they've never done it before. And then it's like, okay, are we getting to know me or are we getting to know America? And so this has been a bit tricky for me. And then I would also throw in that I think I've just had a hard time really, yeah, really connecting. For me, there's a lot of content, like heavy emotional content that's important to me, that's fun to me. Mm-hmm. And this is not really what we're getting into on the first date. Yeah. They're also very decisive people. So, you know, if it's not vibing the first date or two, I mean, I am the same way. So I'm also part of the problem here. But like, we don't meet up three times and really try to get to that deeper level. It's like, okay, the first time we're not really finding each other, I have the feeling. And then I'm not interested to keep pushing it because I like someone who's 
willing to go there with me right off the bat. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I also have the dating podcast, which is how I ended up on your show. And <laughs> what I've learned through all of that is like, I'm sure I can and will date a full 100% German, but for the time being, it's really kind of off the table. And the only success I've had um, by my own measure of what success means has been with people who are either at least partially not German, so from a mixed background, or they're immigrants or foreigners in some regard themselves. It's also a matter of like sometimes more in common with people that also have the same experience as you, like moving countries and whatnot, you know, so it, it's already mm-hmm. put you in this pre- predisposition of like, hey, we have something to to bond over. Yeah, other, one other thing that's like very different for me and even though I like to say about myself that I'm not a very typical Israeli, but a very typical Tel Avivian. So in Israel, there's a lot of emphasis on family because it's a very small country. So most people see their family almost every weekend for Shabbat dinner or whatnot. Here, like people's relationship with their families is much more distant in some way. So for example, I dated someone, or actually I dated a few people for more than a few months and I've never met their family. Even if they lived in Berlin, their family was from Berlin. And in Israel, you would meet someone's family after like a few weeks, you know, like you would go. Really? It's like even sometimes like after a couple of weeks, you know, it's not a big deal. Huh. Um, I think this next question will transition well from the dating one, which is how do you make friends in Germany? Because honestly, I think a lot of the themes that we were just talking about come into play in friendship just as much as relationships. I mean, it is a relationship, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, The the short answer from my side, you you don't make friends in Germany. Uh, That's (laughs) that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, friends is the one thing, let's put things like a little bit aside. There's Berlin and there's Germany. Okay. (laughs) There's two different things. (laughs) Um, I think Berlin as a big metropolis, very hectic, international, too much opportunities and so on and so forth is a very difficult place to make friends. And I believe that is the case in every metropolitan. I think that's kind of like the the essence of being in somewhat of a non-place. The main reason for that in Berlin is first, it's huge. And if someone is not leaving around your keys or less than 30 minutes of a uh, Uban drive, then you're probably not going to see them very often. I think it's also a matter of overburdened with stuff to do, you know, so there's, it's so hard to find people that just want to do the same things you want to do. I think a lot of people have friends because they're kind of bonding over the same parties they like to go, the same events, the same interests. And also mm-hmm. Germans tend to have friends circles that is consistent from their childhood or from university. It makes it a little bit difficult to become friends with them if they already have like a, a friend circle that is quite consistent. From my experience, and this is just my confirmation bias, of course, I might be wrong. There is some difficulty. There's like a imaginary wall sometime between Germans and new opportunities to meet and really be friends. I mean, you can you can go out with Germans for a month, right? You can go out parties with them. You can be friends with them. You can talk with them. But at the essence, they're still with that group of friends and eventually it might wither out. From my experience, that happens quite a lot. And also when it comes to Berlin particularly, because it's such a big non-place 
for and for those who don't know what an enclave is, it's kind of like a philosophy term some French dude coined or whatever. It's a place that nothing permanent uh, uh, contained within. So like a train station or airport and so on. So everything is always kind of moving within this place. Um, so Berlin has a lot of people coming to it and a lot of people leaving. And from my experience, I've had like different waves of friends that I found friends and then they had to move somewhere. So it's not like a place people move to and stay in. And that makes it very difficult to have friends. A lot of what you were saying at the top really reminded me of my time in Chicago, where I really had this frustration that no one wanted to commit to plans until the day of or even yeah. the hour of, because what if something else comes up that's better? Or what if in that moment they don't feel like commuting 45 minutes to come see you? So I think that it has a lot to do with the size of a place, which is one of the things I've loved so much about Freiburg is it's small enough that there, there are things to do and there are things going on, but not that many. So yeah. that for me has been a really positive thing because it became way easier to make friends. Um, I had the feeling that I knew people really quickly because there just weren't that many, <laughs> especially yeah. going to the kind of events and the kind of places that I was going to. You do start running into people, which it's not to say those became friends, but it creates this feeling of community really quickly. I will say almost all of my friends are non-German and the couple of German friends that I have often are husbands or wives or partners of non-Germans that I'm friends with. Hmm. So I have very few German friends that I sort of got on my own. <laughs> yeah. For instance, what you said about this, uh, you know, there's like a situational friendship going on. Like that couldn't, that's also happened to me where I was going um, bouldering with the same group for a while and then I didn't have time to go bouldering as much. And that's it. It's not there. We're not meeting yeah. up or keeping in touch else. Um, otherwise, it was really based around the activity. So, I mean, I guess we've just said a lot of things that make it hard to make friends. But to put in a couple of tips that <laughs> um, would answer this question of how to do it, I would say maybe if you're in a bigger city, focus on one neighborhood or area, you know, where you live or where you work that's sort of convenient to you and start frequenting places there. Maybe events also. Like if you're in Berlin, I can always recommend like try to go to the same event. Like for example, there's a or used to be a great event called Smut Slam that I used to go to a lot. There's a sense of community in these places, and they always have like a Facebook group and stuff like that. You know, so just find your little communities within this chaos. Yeah, and I think just being open to whatever form of friendship comes. You know, be it it's somewhat you meet someone who's willing to go to this next event with you, but you're, you find them kind of annoying, and you don't think you want to be like real one-on-one -on -one friends that's that's fine i don't know yeah, to me i think yeah. that's a starting point so take what you can get keep at it and i mean it is true that germans feel more comfortable meeting people in club forums or like activity-based forums so if you have something you're interested in see if there's a way to do that socially also i have to say i've got a lot of success with online everything like even online dating led yeah. to some friendships yeah um Online community through my podcast has led to some of my most cherished friendships across Germany. So I would be not shy about that. Like even if you want to troll the hashtag of your city or something on Instagram and just like DM people or you kind of got to trick people to <laughs> mix with you at first. I, I, by the way, most of my friends are German. You can, yes, uh, make friends with Germans. But um, I had a lot of experiences with Germans that kind of like the language barrier was very difficult. And I wanted to ask you, not just the language by itself, but also the humor. Because my humor is very 
uh, American in some way, especially in English. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of people don't get my references or, you know, like I have to kind of like lower the level of English a lot of the times to, to talk to people so they would understand what I mean. So I wanted to ask you, do you have any issues with like references and humor and personality things related to making friends? Well, I have two benefits going for me. One, I did learn German. It's not perfect German, but it's good enough for work and also for socializing. But do you have like German humor? I think a lot of times people can tell that I am being funny and my nature is funny. But when I try to be funny and say something that I think is like a good, not a punchline, but you know, like I make yeah. a reference that's funny or say something that should be funny, I can tell that I messed my grammar up where they don't quite follow or in the delay between where they finally understand what I mean. It's the yeah. moment's gone. Yeah. So yeah, so that's not great. And then on the other hand, um, I think a lot of American humor is referential to pop culture. Exactly. And, you know, I said there's two things going for me. I guess the second thing going for me is mostly going against me, which is like, I am not very cultured in my own culture. Like, I didn't grow up really watching movies. I've seen some TV shows, but I'm also a little face blind. So I can't reference celebrities. I, I, I can't tell them apart most of the time. I'm just not hip in this way. And I actually have a hard time sometimes relating to fellow Americans who are referencing like Groundhog Day or something I've never seen. Um, so I guess in that sense, it helps me because I'm not missing that because I don't I don't have it. Um, on the topic of German, is it possible to get a job in Germany when you're not fluent in German? I've talked about on the podcast before in my field, which is librarianship, it is not possible, which is why I learned German. Yeah, that makes um, sense. <laughs> yeah, but this is a very specific thing. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to hear first from you if you think it's possible. I would say yes. Generally, everything is possible. I think it just depends what kind of job, as you said, you know, like being a librarian in English, maybe there's like one, <laughs> you know, in the embassy or yeah. I don't know, you know, <laughs> something like that. But generally, my relationship or my philosophy about the whole thing that you have to study a language in the country that you live in is a bit, um, some would say, extreme. Because I don't know any German. I don't speak any German. I know A1 level German. I have no intention of learning any German in the future. And I've been working here for six years. So by all means, yes. I can't say it's not a struggle. So if you if you come here and you don't have any German, or at least like B1 level, and you're doing a job that is not inherently something you can do in English, like tech, then yeah, you can. But if you come here to work in like, for example, uh, anything related to craft or you know stuff like that, then impossible. Though that is also very location dependent too. Yeah. I, I will say in Freiburg, I have a lot of friends who have the frustration, you know, they found work in English in Freiburg in marketing typically, but if they want to change jobs, there's very, very limited options because there's only so many companies yeah. that are even offering anything in English. So if this question is coming from someone who kind of doesn't intend to learn German or doesn't think that's going to be po happening for them, but they're flexible with location, I would say then, yeah, you just got to focus on the big cities. On the other hand, if your specific career is important to you and you want to move with it, really look into that industry in Germany and find out the specifics of if that's possible and yeah. in English or not. Yeah, because I think there's just a lot of factors. I Generally, I, I think it is possible, but you, you might have to be very, very flexible with what you're doing and where you're living. And you might have more limited options to change things up. Yeah, for sure. Another moving question. How much money is a safe amount to save to move to Germany? Get all you all all the money you have and kind of like 
quadruple it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's I think it's a bit of a hard question to answer because first it depends what is your visa status here because a lot of visas require you to have 8000 euros in a bank account that is closed. For the most part, you have to Google that, right? But I think beyond that, it really depends what kind of lifestyle you want to have. And, you know, like you could, I lived off 400 euros a month for like a good year. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like you could, you're not going to like it, <laughs> but you could. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really true. I was thinking about this question because it is, of course, so situation specific. But I think maybe a good rule of thumb would be if you're coming and you don't have a job lined up. I know at least for U.S. Americans, you have three months on a tourist visa in Germany. And then after that point, you need to switch it to a more permanent visa if you intend to stay. Yeah. So I would say figure out what your living expenses are or might be depending on where you're moving in in Germany and again we we can't say anything specifically to that other than that we've both lived off 400 a month so it's possible but yeah. I mean I think you and I are both people that are really willing to be flexible and slim it if needed um yeah so if that's not you you know know yourself and don't set yourself up for that um but yeah maybe calculate living expenses for three months plus maybe even a full fourth month or some kind of emergency fund if you if you do end up having to move back to your home country or at least fly back. Or another thing that's important to know, a lot of German companies pay you out at the end of the month. And when I was starting my job, actually, they told me because of paperwork, sometimes it takes mm-hmm. two months and they'll pay you at least the first paycheck will come after the second month. And so let's say even if you do stay the full three months in the tourist visa and find a job, you might not be getting that first paycheck until the end of this fourth month. So I would say maybe as a rule four plus a slush fund. Yeah. When I moved here, I didn't have any job or whatsoever. And I didn't bring much money at all. And I, you know, it's you, you could do it. But also just an apostrophe, it really depends where in Germany you move. Because I think in Munich, it's going to be very hard to not have a good cash load of money lined up to to back you up um, or yeah, in other, other places. In Berlin, in East Germany, in maybe some student towns that are a little bit cheaper, you can actually live off a thousand euros per month very well, Yeah, uh, which is not a lot uh, in, in Tel Aviv standards. So for me, it was like, whoa. <laughs> you know? This brings us to the next question, which is how bad is the rental market really, particularly in Munich? I mean, neither of us lives in Munich, but uh, I think we can probably both confirm it's bad. I mean, it's bad everywhere, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, it's bad anywhere, but Munich is especially expensive, I think. Yeah, I think the problem with Munich is first that it's Munich. Uh, I'm joking. It's the you always forced to kind of live in the outskirts. I think if you can't really like, it's impossible to live in the center, really. Like unless you're rich, you know. When you live in the outskirts, you always have to commute, and the commute takes time. And it's not like in Berlin that Berlin doesn't really have a center to it. There's like different centers to the city spread it around, so you don't necessarily always have to go downtown. You know. Uh, to work but like munich has a bit more of a suburb area there definitely is a shortage of apartments across germany this is a bit regional there there are places where it's more doable but an international person is probably not moving there to work anytime soon because it's probably a tiny village in the east um but um i've found especially from u.s standards the rents here are really quite doable i mean freiburg is a very expensive city for the size that it is 
and you can find a a nice one bedroom with a kitchen, you know, and a living dining space for 800 or something. You know, that probably has a balcony or a garden. Like you can you can also find way cheaper. Like I think my first flat was 500 or so for um a two room. It was a crappy apartment, but yeah. By German standards it's a bit pricey, especially at said compared to the size of the city, but it's not going to break the bank for someone coming from a more expensive country. Um, and even Berlin, from what I've heard, um, it's impossible to find something, but the prices, I don't know, to me are kind of reasonable to rent, footnote, yeah. buying, completely different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go through a couple of the more resourcey, factual questions. One was, can you explain Kindergeld? I mean, it's literally money that they give to parents to try to incentivize them to have more kids because the population's not mm. growing fast enough for them. Yeah. So um, to me, that's also kind of a funny thing. It's like you literally get paid for having a child. You get a monthly salary for having a child. That's not what it's actually supposed to be. Um, okay, actually, Kindergeld is supposed to be money that the government is giving to you and your family, or actually it's supposed to go to the kid for their living expenses. So I'm looking at it right now. And for your first and second kid, it would be 219 euros per month um, per kid. And so that 219 euros is, you know, so you can buy them clothes and food and school supplies and things like that without really impacting your salary. If you have a third kid, it goes up to 225 euro. And after your fourth kid, it is 250 euro per month. So that does change every couple of years. Um, keep an eye on it. But you pretty much automatically get it. Foreigners get it too. I mean, as soon as you're registered with a, a city or you know any kind of village or city, you have a right to it. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a quick little info to Kindergeld. I can also um, put a link in the show notes. Uh, this website I found is called kindergeld.org. Um, and that has some nice explanations, granted, um, in German, but I'm sure you can either translate it or there might even be an, a button where you can change to English. I'm not sure. Um, this is also kind of a, a funny one. But I posted on Instagram yesterday, actually, um, one last reminder for people to send in questions. And I also posted that I had donated blood yesterday. And I actually got a lot of questions about donating blood in Germany. And I did just want to take a moment and share at least what I have learned. Um, have you ever donated blood here? No, I, I have a phobia from needles, so getting my blood is, is quite a challenge. Okay, yep, that'll that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of criteria that can knock you out from being eligible. Um, but if you're from the UK, actually, in a lot of places, you either can't give blood or they would have to ask you follow-up questions about it. Someone messaged me saying they're from the UK in the US and, and they were not able to. And on my questionnaire yesterday, it asks if I was in the UK for more than three months or six months in this like one decade uh, between the 80s and 90s. So something must have happened then. Um, yeah. And there's a ton of other things like recent travel, um, country of origin, piercing or tattoos. The date of your last vaccination could play a role. Um, your sexual activity can play a role. So there's, um, at least in Germany, there's a very long questionnaire you have to fill out every time. Um, they really scour it. If there's anything that turns up funky, you get sent to talk to the doctor. Um, they, they prick your finger first and test the blood with some initial testing. And if that looks um, any kind of funky, then again, you're going to the doctor. So it's very professional and thorough, which is good. I would say I've donated blood in the U.S. as well, I think only twice. The first time I was in high school and the lady who was doing it, she kept complaining about how she hates her job and wants to quit. She like missed my veins multiple times, oh. which I have actually quite good veins, so there's no excuse. She went out on a cigarette break and my 
bag over almost overflowed like another nurse had to come and uh take care Holy of it smoke. and then when she was coming back she passed out what? so didn't go great <laughs> um, that experience would have scarred me for life <laughs> i was weirdly just sort of amused by the whole thing because actually getting the blood taken from me didn't really do anything to me so this was just like theater mm. on the side mm. um and i got out of class for a little bit so that was cool I am very easily incentivized because the other time I donated blood in the U.S. was to get into a renaissance fair for free, which was oh, cool. nice. Though they didn't give enough food or water after. And so then you go into the renaissance fair where it's super expensive. So I didn't want to eat or drink or – oh, well, I did want to, but I didn't want to give out that money. And I almost uh, – or I like a little bit lightly passed out. So that also didn't go great. So anyway, in comparison to those two experiences, Germany is, yeah, much more professional, much more smooth running. I feel very safe every time I do it. And if you're interested in doing it, you should, I would say – I mean, there's so many questions that could – knock you out from eligibility but it's worth a try um so you can donate blood through the hospital um the university clinics also often have blood donation clinics so i would just look there um google uni clinic and then the name of your location and see what they've got um blutspender is what it's called blood donation yeah i would definitely encourage people to do it and they paid me they paid me 25 euros so that was cool oh nice um, okay, another very specific one. Um, someone messaged me who had to leave the Ukraine because of the current um, situation. And they're now in Germany and wanting to continue their studies in computer science. They're trying to get their bachelor's. Any tips for them? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's a very specific uh, situation. I did find one website from the German government where they have information for refugees from Ukraine. They have that in Ukrainian, Russian, German, and English. Mm -hmm. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And I think the right thing to do in this situation would just be going to the government agency in wherever this person has ended up and um, yeah. explaining the situation to them. I would assume there's also a bunch of organizations that that like help with that right now, you know, particularly. Exactly. Yeah. This person wrote to me in English, so they speak English and they're studying computer science. There are programs in Germany. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that exists for sure. I would, I would maybe do one recommendation. I'm not sure if they're very applicable, but there are some states in Germany that uh, studying is free. So I would go to those, like Berlin or, you know, stuff like that. Leipzig, I think, as well. Yeah, and that's probably a good idea right now to do, um, because I think they're still being pretty lenient with where people are going. They're mm -hmm. being pretty supportive of getting people where they want to go. So if this person has flexibility, maybe do some quick research and then head to that place. Um, I don't know how it's going to be in Germany in the future, if they're going to get more strict with like, oh, no, you're you're registered here. You have to stay here. I'm not sure. Um, but I could see that happening. So yep. yeah. That's a good that's a good idea. Okay, the next one is what are some nice obscure lesser traveled little places and expat owned businesses to support? I think to me those are two separate questions. First off, the lesser known places to visit and then separately the expat owned businesses. In uh, in Germany particularly? I'm guessing though we can be we can be hmm. broad with it. Ber Bergheim maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Send them there. <laughs> wear white. Um, yeah. <laughs> in Berlin, there's a lot of like local businesses that are kind of like famous for, you know, I don't know, for their little community that they developed, like uh, fine bagels, for example. Can't can't think of anything else top of my head. 
I'm, I'm assuming in this case, I'm interpreting ex-Padawanda as any kind of foreign-owned, so, you know, immigrant or whatever the situation might be. Um, mm-hmm. In which case, yeah, I mean, almost any international supermarket's probably going to be run by mm-hmm. some uh, some foreigners of some kind. And those are incredible. And I love those places. Um, tons yeah. of restaurants and things like that. Yeah. For instance, I just was in Hamburg and met someone um, who was from the US and she uh, runs escape rooms in Hamburg. Hmm. And escape rooms, as far as I know, originated in the US, or at least they're very, very popular there. And of course, they become popular other places. But for instance, for me, I would associate escape rooms with US and then finding one in, in Germany probably signals that someone had some experience abroad that led them to want to make that here so yeah yeah i i have a um american candy and and food shop around my hood here it's owned by a very angry little old lady so (laughs) uh, i'm not sure why she decided to open this shop and be very angry about it but i think the more people will come and cheer her up might help so could be good yeah (laughs) um and then in terms of obscure places to travel I, i actually really love this question that kind of a question or kind of a thought inspired an entire sub-series of my podcast, which is called Travel Germany, where I interview people who live in maybe lesser known parts of Germany and um, how they ended up there and why they love it and what they love to do there. So I thought of it because Freiburg is, for instance, a place that a lot of people don't think to visit, but I think is highly uh, attractive for especially international tourists. Hmm. And I wanted to highlight some of the places that I love in town or around town. Um, And I've done episodes on Kiel, Dessau, Görlitz, Aachen. Yeah, there's a long list and I can link to all the episodes in my show notes. Um, Yeah, because I just, I don't know, for me personally, regardless of the country in Europe so far, I do sometimes enjoy the bigger cities, but I always love tiny towns. Like they're just, that's it for me. There's like this, uh, I mean, maybe it's not obscure, but there's a lot of castles in, in Germany. So you can go like castle hunting, you know, there's like a mm-hmm. bunch of really Disney-esque castles around. Also, a very obscure uh, in Berlin is a lot, there's a lot of abandoned, abandoned places, a lot of them. Uh, and I think you can find most of them in abandonedberlin.com or something like that. Um, but they're really cool abandoned places, like a mental asylum that is abandoned for like three, three decades and like a children's hospital uh, and the theme park and stuff like that. Uh, and most of these places are literally just abandoned. Nobody has touched them besides a lot of graffiti artists. So um, they're quite fun. Uh, you just have to read about it a little bit because some of these places have to, you know, you have to kind of maneuver some, <laughs> some bushes and fences <laughs> to get, get into them. I would also throw in the Bodensee area generally, but I have a couple specific towns that I love the most, which are Meersburg and Uberlingen, it's called. Yeah, so these are towns along the lake that connects uh, Austria, Switzerland, and Germany. And from the German side of the lake, you're looking at Switzerland. So the Swiss Alps are the background behind this giant lake. It's so pretty. And there's just all these tiny villages dotting the coast of this lake um so it's really fun to just yeah village hop have ice cream at everyone grab a beer at everyone um part of the lake is bavaria part of it's baden-württemberg in both cases they're definitely known for beer garden culture so you can always have a nice meal outside marisborg it has a castle right on the coast overlooking the swiss alps so i mean you really can't get any better than that okay 
Um, next, we've just got two more. One is, uh, what are the attitudes to LGBT in Germany? Again, I think it really depends where you are. I think Berlin is probably the mecca for that, but still there's issues here uh, with racism and sexism and uh, the you know everything related to LGBTQ is more open than in other places, but there's still a lot of reports and stuff of stuff happening around. So you still have to be careful and mindful of where you go in Berlin because there are some places that are not so open. So yeah, but generally I would say compared to most of the places I've been in the world, Berlin is quite open for queer people of any sorts. I am not queer, so I don't really... (laughs) have any experience with that but some of my partners are queer so they have their own opinions on that and generally very positive ones like Bavaria it's definitely could be more problematic however the good thing about German culture is that they don't tend to confront people in public so much they don't tend to be like very aggressive in public from what I've seen even to people that they disapprove for whatever wacky reason. But I feel like yeah. I don't I can't really like know, you know, like this is just my observations. Yeah, I felt the same way. I'm not queer and so I don't have first hand experience. But my I would say my general feeling is <laughs> yeah, the Germans have a sort of cultural disinterest. This can be positive and negative. So in the case of LGBT friendliness, it's kind of like yeah, they probably are just going to mind their own business anyway. Um, That being said, of course, there are times when that's not true. Also, marriage was legalized for non-straight partners just a couple years ago, like actually after in the US, which I already thought the US was super late and then Germany was even later. Actually, because of this question, I checked in with a friend of mine who's been on the podcast before to talk about her experience. She's lesbian, also from the US, and lives here in Freiburg with her German wife. And she talked about her experience being queer here. I told her a little bit of what I was, what I just said here. And if she thinks it's generally true or not, she said, yeah, pretty much true. Um, but she pointed out with legalizing marriage, Germany did it after the US, but it was more of a bureaucratic thing than um, because of specific homophobia or something, because actually there were civil unions that covered a lot more rights for queer couples here than in comparison in the U.S. Ea for Allah, it was called, marriage for everyone. That was about equal recognition. And in comparison to in in the U.S., marriage equality was about equal rights and the legal protection. So um, she also said, um, I'll just quote her a little bit. Um, I've been harassed here and in the U.S., more dangerously in the U.S., to be honest. I've experienced a lot less microaggressions here than in the U.S., probably for the most part, that Germans are disinterested in each other. <laughs> um, I feel safer presenting androgynously here than the South. And here she's referring to the South of the United States um, and then said, but that's the South because, yeah. Southern U.S. is a very specific uh, culture. Yeah. Then she also said um, the whole queer community is about the same in terms of activism and social groups. I can actually talk to my students, because she's a teacher, um, about being gay. So that's different than in the U.S. And um, oh, yeah. Uh, And I don't fear getting shot for holding my wife's hand in public. Also different from the U.S. So, yeah, not having guns can really do a lot for the feeling of safety. Yeah. It's generally way less wacky here than in the States. Uh, in every possible yeah. aspect. <laughs> Just Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll also link to that uh, episode in the show notes. Okay, and the last question is, how do you decide when to go back or how long to stay? It's such a subjective thing, right? I think you just need to 
you know, do the math for yourself and then decide. But maybe you have a better answer. Not really, <laughs> because it's so it's so subjective. It's so difficult to say. I think there's so many factors. When I've interviewed people who have kids and their kid hits a certain age, for instance, in Germany, after the fourth grade, kids start getting sorted based on their thus to proven academic ability. And yeah. that can be really challenging. Yeah. So sometimes people reach that point and they say, OK, it's time to go back or, you know, having kids makes them miss having the family around. So that's a big um, trigger to move. Though I've also talked to people who, you know, they move because it was right for the family, but it wasn't right for them as an individual. And so that was really tricky. So I, I think factors like that, or if you're in a partnership um, that might force the move sooner or later than you might otherwise want. Mm -hmm. um, I think if I focus on just the individual in that aspect, I think it's really just being in touch with yourself. I think, I don't know, I wouldn't say that if you're questioning it, that already tells you enough. Like, I think actually it's really normal to question things. And I think it is such a big decision that no decisions should be made immediately, but rather sit with that feeling, see if it stays with you or if it shifts. But yeah, just a lot of self-reflection. There's also, <laughs> now I'm just plugging all my podcast episodes, but I did do an episode specifically about should I stay or should I go with, uh, she goes by Bad Days Abroad on uh, on Instagram and online. Um, and I'll link to her website and um, that episode in the show notes as well, because she actually she was living abroad and then moved back to her home country of Estonia, really went through the ringer internally about if that was the right call or not. And it ended up being the right call for her. But she's since then developed all this kind of like coaching and, and blog posts and services around specifically that question. And I think especially when you're having these really individual struggles, it can be nice to have other people who have gone through similar versions. You know, no one's going to have exactly the same as you, but it is really helpful to get some similar stories and similar questions that you can ask yourself. So I think that would be a good place to go to. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're unhappy somewhere, just try to reflect on why and if you can do something about it or want to do something about it. And if those answers come up negative, then maybe it's time to move on. I don't know if it's the question of going back or not, maybe going to another place. You know, it doesn't always have to be yeah. going back. Yeah. That's also a really good point. Yeah. That is the very last question of, of the um, advice questions. But we got three questions left because it's time to round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go Holy with shmole. your gut. I, 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 I you ready? I did not consent to all of the. What is this? You <laughs> no. didn't. You didn't. No, I'm I'm <laughs> I didn't even warn now. you. <laughs> I'll give all you right. a minute. <laughs> no, no, shoot, shoot. Come on. Let's. let's all right. Me. Okay. <laughs> First question What is the best part of Berlin? Um, it's mm, a hard question. Um, Spetis. Uh, which brings me to my second question, which is, what's your favorite snack in Germany? Hmm, I can't really snack anymore, so um, from health reasons. But I would say it's most likely those really cheap um, cakes that have like this lemon icing on the top that you get at like supermarkets. I'm like, I was addicted to those. And Fritz Cola espresso flavor. Yeah? Specifically the espresso flavored Fritz Cola is like one-fifth of the reason I moved here. That is radical. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried that because it did not sound appealing. <laughs> it's the best Fritz Cola. Noted, noted. Yeah. 
Um, well, now you took away my last question, which was going to be, what's, what's the best kind of Fritz Cola? But um, <laughs> um, from your A1 German, is there a certain word or phrase that you just really enjoy saying? Hmm. Not particularly. It, it changes with time, but I tend to kind of like paraphrase on all the words, also makeup words that start with schmu, like schmutzen, schlugen, schmarken, schmusen, all those things. <laughs> I tend to kind of like plug them in randomly in conversations to confuse people. I mean, it sounds very compelling, like that delivered with such confidence. Yeah, it's uh, good. Okay, very good. Okay, you survived the three questions. Um, <laughs> um, Is there like sound effects? Well, no, um, there's not. But wait, I can I can't applaud because I don't have two hands at the moment. But snap, yay! Where can people find you? Your podcast. Keep listening to all your good insights. Um, you can find me at Unmatch Me Now, literally at any podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Or you can go to swipeleft.me, which is my website for the podcast. Uh, you can find also me at home, but I hope you won't because that would be creepy. <laughs> Very good. All right. I will link to those, um, including your home address in the show notes. <laughs> Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. I feel like you gave very good answers. I had high expectations, as said at the beginning. I had a good feeling, high expectations, and you delivered. So I have, I have to say that I did not feel I delivered <laughs> <laughs> due to your expectations. You built me up too high. Mm-hmm. Should have started with like, this is done. He's like, okay. He was know. my last choice for the guest, but everyone else was good canceled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did great. <laughs> Thanks again to Idan for coming onto the show. Links to Idan's podcast and Instagram are in the show notes. Unfortunately, I could not get his private address. While you're at it, you can go ahead and follow me if you're not already at The Expatcast on Instagram and on Twitter. You can visit me online at theexpatcast.com. And please, a reminder, send me your thoughts about if you want to have kids or not by this Sunday, March 20th, if you want to be included in the season finale. One more thing that you can do for Idan and for me is leave us ratings and reviews of our podcasts. For people like us who are just DIY happy podcasters, it can be hard to get the word out. So this is the easiest way that you can help us reach new ears. As always, I want to thank Amy Lunky Art for the logo and Sidehug for the theme music. There on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feeds with the season finale, your stories about if you would like to have kids or not as it pertains to your geography. Till then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bis done. Tschüss.